Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode number 247 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And I'll do the quick uh, intros for the normal hosts. I'm Russ K5TUX, and over there is Go ahead. Cheryl. W5MOO. Yeah, well, you can't do your own call sign anymore? Well, I don't use, it sounded like you were going to do it for me. So. <laughs> no, you, you can still talk. <laughs> oh, okay. And then out in Big Sky Country, we have Bill. And E4RD, good evening. And we have a fourth voice in the house, and it's probably a voice that many of our listeners are already familiar with. His uh, call sign is KC0SKE, and his name is Noah Chalaya from, uh, it's, it's South Dakota, right? Dakota. Okay. I knew it was a Dakota. Some, somewhere. Yeah, there. Okay. You know what? There's, 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 there's talk every couple of years about combining them anyway. So yeah. <laughs> Southern Saskatchewan. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, exactly. I'm, just, I'm a Southern Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that'll be interesting when it, when it's just Dakota and we drop down to 49 states. Um, and that would be a huge, huge state, too. <laughs> well, it still wouldn't be as big as Texas, Texas I'm pretty sure. no, probably not. So. All right. But anyway, we have Noah on because he is an expert, at least it's come to our understanding that he's an expert in audio routing, which is a topic that I am going to claim a fair amount of ignorance on. I think Bill will do the same, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I claim you're ignorant. No. Yeah. Well, that, that, that I claim the exact same and... ignorance. <laughs> I've tried and I've tried, and uh, I have had you know very mediocre uh, performance failure here. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like well, at least in the case of Jack, that it's something I could learn if I had the time, but I don't. So hopefully, we're going to have Noah distill Jack down into nice little um, bite-sized nuggets that we'll all understand, and we'll be able to use it by the end of this podcast. Um, that may be a tall order. I'm not sure, but we're going to get to that. So Noah has been on uh, Jupiter Broadcasting Network for a while. I believe your podcast still is in the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. You're also a part of Linux Action Show, uh, maybe a few other things. So maybe you can just kind of run down your your history with podcasting and amateur radio and you know things that are relevant to you. Sure. So uh, I've been a ham much longer than I've been a podcaster. Got licensed back at the end of elementary school or beginning, beginning of middle school. And I was licensed as a technician and have played with radios every day my entire life. I just find it fascinating. I love watching one thing happen in doing something in one room and watching something happen in another room. That kind of communication fascinates me. And obviously the idea of owning your own technology and, you know, owning that infrastructure, you know, is fascinating to me. And um, one of the things that I think is misunderstood about ham radio is there's so many people that go, well, I don't want to do CW or I don't want to do, uh, you know, traditional sideband voice. And so they put ham radio into this little box as if it can only exist as, as it were back in the 1960s. And so as I, you know, progressed as a technologist, just in general, both in my career and my love for Linux and these kinds of things, I started to find that ham radio was really the original open source. It really was. It was the original way that people owned their 
own communication and own their own infrastructure. And it was the way that people back in, you know, in the fifties and sixties, how they built what we are doing now with software and code. And I found that the two fit very nicely hand in hand. And um, obviously thanks to the work that you guys are doing and, and many other people are are doing um i've able I've, I've been able to kind of meld those hobbies together and so when i joined jupiter broadcasting to start hosting the linux action show later now at the ask noah show um i made it a point to try to make ham radio a point uh, you know a, a part of the network and a part of those broadcasts because i think it is a hobby that deserves more than it's getting right now all right very good i think if you listen to uh, all of our back catalog you'll hear we say that ham radio was the original open source um many 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 times because I, I might have stole that from you to, okay, if i'm being okay. completely <laughs> honest you're you're certainly welcome to because i'm pretty sure that if <laughs> i had the idea i wasn't the original person either so um but yeah i mean the idea of open hardware is something we try and promote as much as open software and a lot of the new projects that are coming out especially in the sdr space are dealing with open hardware um you know things like open audio codecs um open um uh circuit boards and things for uh for doing audio processing for doing radio transmission and things like that hats for pies you know you name it it's all it's all wonderful new technology so uh so tell us a little bit about the ask noah show you you're up in the uh 80 something episodes now you've been doing it since uh sometime last year i believe uh so so how did your involvement with like linux action show evolve into that Right. So I uh, was doing the Linux Action Show, and what we found was that I I was okay at talking about news articles and having discussions and picking out picks and stuff, but the show, you know, essentially outgrew its britches, for lack of a better phraseology, right? And that just wasn't the show that people wanted. What they wanted was they wanted more community level interaction and they wanted to, they wanted to be able to ask questions. They wanted to be able to hear about projects and cool things that had come out that they could use and ways that they could implement Linux in ways that they maybe not have thought of before. And um, one of the way I get my paycheck, my day job, as it were, the way I put food on the table is I take cool Linux and open source projects and I take them into my basement and into my lab and I play with them until I've find cool things that you can do with them. And then I charge outrageous amounts of money and sell them to other people that don't have time to play with them. And, <laughs> and so as I was doing this and people kind of caught on in the show and I would talk about, it, I would say, Hey, here's a zone minder, for example, came out and I, I started talking to a couple of the audience members and I said, yeah, I was playing with zone minder and I got this thing set up and it's this really cool camera system. It's all open source. It really fantastic. It really competes with these $10,000 systems and it's just a very cool system. And other people said, I'd like to set something like that. How did, how did you do that? And, um, and so I, I just kind of developed a reputation as the guy who I will show you how to get whatever it is you want to do done on Linux. Cause there's a bunch of people out there that will tell you, well, that can't be done on Linux. You can't do that on Linux. You have to have windows. You have to have Mac OS. And what I found is that I increased my security, my reliability and my stability by running pure Linux on my metal. and with just a little bit of creativity and a little bit of intelligence and quite a bit of Googling, you can figure out how to get the same tasks done if you're just willing to give Linux a shot. And once you get people there, once you get people actually using the operating system, then what you find is they're very hesitant to ever depart from it. And so we incorporated that into the show. And so we get people that are starting out with Linux or trying to get Linux working on their machines, and they run into some of the first pitfalls that all of us Linux users have solved at one point. And I walk them through that and I help them. We give that away as a free hour, uh, free one hour radio show on, on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. All right. Fantastic. And you're actually going to do that for us tonight and not charge us a huge amount of money. So 
because uh, we're, yeah, exactly. yeah, <laughs> we're, we're getting an extra bonus. hour this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because one of the things that we really wanted to talk about was audio routing. This is a topic that we've brought up many, many, many times. And the reason we keep bringing it up is because, uh, at least until recently, all of our podcasting uh, has been done on non-Linux systems. Uh, Bill has been using Windows sometimes to uh, connect on his end. Uh, Mac sometimes, and I use a Mac full-time uh, to do it on this end. And so we we kind of made a, a pact, a, you know, like Pinky swore at, at some point that we were going to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we got off of Skype, finally, at long last, once I did some figuring out about audio routing inside of my Mac. Uh, so we're actually able to use an open-source platform, uh, Mumble, to do recording now. So, so that was step one. And now is the step two where we want to divest ourselves entirely of uh, non-Linux systems to be able to do the podcast. Um, being a podcast about open hardware, open software, and amateur radio, it seems like it would behoove us to be uh, Linux only when we do that. Oh, for sure. And so um, we want to talk about audio routing uh, in Linux, uh, How? because I, I know that's how you do it. So we would like to be able to do the same. and. We kind of want to wrap all of that into a sort of general talk about audio routing and audio servers and just basically audio in Linux, um, because um, it used to be that like peripherals used to be the hot topic in Linux, like how do I get my printer to work or my USB card reader or something like that. Well, that has kind of gone by the wayside. Everyone sort of knows how that works, and it's uh, kind of all automagic. But uh, audio routing is still a big issue um, because it's not like a Macintosh, basically plug and play. You just plug a bunch of stuff into your Mac and it sort of routes properly and everything's golden. Um, Pulse Audio has made things better uh, than OSS and also and stuff like that. Although everything kind of harkens back to the older technology. And now with things like Jack, which allow you to do uh, full, you know, create your own audio routing, it can be a fairly intimidating process. So that's what we're going to kind of dive into here. So maybe you can give us an outline, at least how it works in your head, about audio in Linux in, in general, starting like in the early days of audio uh, and coming up to where we are now, sort of leaving routing and audio uh, on the floor for the moment. Sure. No problem. Um, so for, full disclaimer, I'm 31 years old, so I, I can't go back into the you know early days of Linux because I was um, you know in like first grade. But um, there are the, the way Linux audio in Linux is different than the audio subsystem of basically any other operating system. And it is a collection of the best of the best. And so what you find is in other operating systems, Mac OS or windows, for example, if they want an audio system, they go to the windows development team and they tell the windows guys, Hey, by the way, you need to make an icon and create a little audio subsystem here for this windows thing. And it's just part of the general operating system. Linux has a slightly different approach and we take this approach and it serves us very, very well. And the approach is we pick the best of everything. So there is a guy and his only function in life is to create the world's best audio subsystem. But wait, it gets better because it's not just one guy. It's another guy that created an entirely separate Linux audio subsystem. And he thinks his is the best in the, you know, in the entire world. And then maybe there's a third one. And, uh, and that's how we arrive at things like pulse and Ulsa and Jack. And um, all of them have their benefits and all of them have their detractors. So you talked, you opened the episode and you started talking about Jack and you said, Jack seems like it would be very, very po powerful. It is. And you said, I wish I had more time to learn it because it's very, very confusing. 
it is. Jack is one of those things that if you dig into it far enough, you can make it do incredible things, but it takes a long time to get there. It takes a deep understanding of how some of those components work together, but there are some shortcuts that you can use um, to 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 facilitate, at least when you're getting started, to make things a little bit easier to, you know, so you can get your work done. And then later you can start saying, now, how does that piece of software make that thing work? And then you can kind of dig into the underpinnings. And um, I primarily, I, I have used Jack, and so we can talk about that a little bit. I primarily use Pulse or Ulsa. Uh, I, I heavily use Pulse and I heavily use the network portions of Pulse. And I also use something um, that I want to talk about called Axia and RTE streaming, which is actually, if you're listening to this episode live, you're actually listening to an RTP stream. Um, that is how Icecast or, or Shoutcast or, or, or the, the video streaming that goes to YouTube, all of those incorporate an RTP stream. And there are ways that you can use RTP streams inside of Linux and inside of audio routing to create incredibly powerful and flexible audio workflows all right very good uh i didn't know it sounded like you might have had another thought there but (laughs) yeah no i i just here's the thing i just don't want to uh i don't want to just steamroll over so if there's you just gotta interrupt me if you if you want me to stop but um so i i guess we'll start with this so the the most simple thing that 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 you can do or the the most simple basic things that you can start to do in linux that become difficult in other operating systems is assign multiple audio devices to various applications or various tasks without having to use special software so in windows there is a single stereo stream when i say a stereo stream i mean we can take two channels and output it to a single device and without using some special software some special audio routing system or driver there is no way in windows natively to tell windows to send audio to separate places in Linux, in Pulse, for example, we have that option. So one of the things that you and I were talking about before we started doing the episode is this idea that you have a soundboard on one on, on one machine, and on the same machine, you also have your Mumble client, and you want the soundboard to come into your mixer, but you don't want the Mumble to come into the mixer, because if Mumble comes into the mixer, then you would feed Mumble back into itself. Am I understanding that right? That is 100% correct, yes. So we and I know you guys understand this in case there's somebody out there that doesn't understand this. There is a term that we we're going to throw around called mix minus. And if you haven't heard that term before, it's probably the most confusing thing I can ever explain. It certainly can't. It's certainly difficult to try and explain over voice. Once you actually try to set this up, it will make perfect sense. But the concept of a mix minus is we want to take the entire mix and we want to send that back to a person minus the person themselves, because if we send the audio of the person themselves back to that person, it creates an echo. Now, that's wouldn't be so bad, except the echo is on a delay. And so I say something, I say something and it comes back to me. It comes back to me. And that can be very off putting and very distracting. And so we we can't send the person's audio back to them. There's a couple of different ways to create a mix minus the most simple way of creating a mix minus is using a separate audio bus. So you have, I believe you said an Alesis Mix 10 mixer. And uh, as you correctly pointed out, it has two auxiliary buses in addition to the main bus. And when I say bus, I mean collection of audio signals that are grouped together and then sent out as one. So our main bus maybe takes a mix of your microphone, uh, maybe the three hosts microphone plus the audio from the soundboard plus the audio from the mumble, and it sends it out over the main mix. So that's our first mix. We need to create a second mix that we can send back to mumble. And when we send that mix back to mumble, obviously we want to remove mumble from that mix. 
And so the simplest, most straightforward way to do that is to put everything into the mixer and then turn all of the aux channels up except for the mumble channel. We don't turn that one up. We turn it up in the main mix, but we don't turn the aux channel up. And then the audio that we feed back to mumble is, in fact, the auxiliary bus. And so what that will do is it will send all of the same channels that we have on our main mix that we're going to put out to air. We're going to send all of those back to the mumble room, except for the mumble room itself. That's the simplest, most straightforward way to send that mix to the mumble. But we run into a problem in your setup because in your setup, the main mix and the mumble, I assume, are running on the same machine. Yes, that is correct. So we, that is not entirely going to work for us because we have to we'd have to choose them. We'd have to either send mumble out to the stream or we would have to not include we didn't have to not include mumble in in the mix or we would be sending a, an echo back to mumble so that we we run into a problem well linux can solve this problem for us actually natively and the way that linux can do that is because we can actually have two audio devices that exist inside of linux so you could use a very common popular audio interface device that works very very well and is extraordinarily low budget it's one of my favorite devices in the world. It's the UA202 from Behringer. It's about $19 or maybe $25 on Amazon Prime, available two-day shipping. And it's a small little unbalanced RCA audio device, uh, USB audio DAC, digital to audio converter. And so you can plug two of these into your system. One, you can you can assign in the mumble preferences to mumble, or you could use, uh, like for example, you could use the pulse audio uh, controls or PAVU control there's, it's a little uh, utility mixer, and you could assign one of those audio devices to be the input for Mumble. And the second audio device you would assign as your default system-wide audio device that's going to be sent out to your stream. Now, on the first audio device that's being sent to Mumble, we connect that to our auxiliary one jack. And on the second audio device, we connect that to our main mix. Now, we can send a separate mix to Mumble than we're sending out to the rest of our and our live recording and all of those things. And we can, furthermore, we can start to adjust levels. So let's say in Mumble, for example, maybe you want the music to be substantially quieter than all of the hosts so that the, the other hosts are paying attention to when you start talking and not getting into the groove of the music. And we can send us an entirely separate mix out to Mumble. I'll give an example of how we do something like that at the Ask Noah show. So we we have uh, we have uh, an unlimited amount of buses that we can assign. It's all being done in in software and a special hardware platform that it's essentially a big software mixer. And uh, we call we name those mixes program one, program two, program three, so on and so forth. We have a separate program feed that goes out to the RF stream of our that we send out to the other radio stations that syndicate our program then we actually send out to the internet and the reason we do that is because the licensing requirements of what we can air over fm differ from the license requirements of what we can air over um, the internet stream and we're able to do that and nobody is the wiser because in my headphones i hear what i want to hear and because that's on a separate mix bus as as compared to the mix bus that we send to the internet or the mix bus that we send out to the radio station. So it allows a tremendous amount of flexibility and that's only possible because Linux will let us have virtually an unlimited amount of audio devices. Now there is a limit because there's a limit on the USB bandwidth. Uh, if you're using these USB DACs. Um, but if you, but aside from that, there is a virtually unlimited amount of devices that you can add into this and start assigning to various softwares to create different mixes for different purposes. And I understand that the jack gives you the ability in and of itself to create literal um, audio flows between yes. devices. 
and yes. that's that's where it is its power light is it's in it's taking my Alesis Multimix basically and creating it in software and that allows Correct. you to do all of those routing things. So right. understanding that, let's let's jump sort of way back and talk about the difference between things like also an OSS and in this case Pulse Audio, um, which came a little bit later, but they sort of all serve the same function. They're sound servers and the difference between those, maybe you can sort of outline what you know about also an OSS and Pulse Audio and then distinguish those from what Jack does. Sure. Um, I, I guess uh, I, I guess what uh, let's see here. So the are you, I, I guess is your question about the the library or the the emulation of the driver? Well, no, let's 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 go back even higher level than that, I guess. So I want to I want to start at the the simplest way to discuss it. And like when someone fires up their computer, their Linux box, and they want to hear YouTube playing for their computers, then the simplest part of that is, at least in a modern computer, you're going to be using Pulse Audio. That is the audio subsystem that's enabled by default. Right. Uh, before Pulse Audio, there was also an OSS, and a lot of a lot of Pulse Audio is actually built on top of those sound systems. Right. Um, so if you could just sort of describe, at least as far as your own understanding, um, what the also an OSS audio subsystem is, what Pulse Audio has added to that, and then how Jack sort of leverages those technologies to do its own thing. So the I'll be honest with you, the also OSS is kind of before my time. I I you know in in my world, I've only existed with Pulse and and also. Um, as far as what does Jack do, or what does what does what does it add? Um, I would I would argue I guess that Jack is faster than Pulse. It has less latency, and so you're able to do more real time mixing, real time effects, real time routing. It's not that it's not possible with with Pulse, but Pulse does um, audio over IP using um, essentially RTP streams. And while they are very close to being real time in Linux, they're not fast enough that you would be able to listen to a, a feed of yourself, for example, and apply effects. Now, Jack, you can do that. Um, so I guess that the the is that does that answer your question? Sort of. Um, I, I I wanted to kind of eliminate Jack from the mix, uh, so to speak, right for the moment and just talk about Pulse Audio and how the audio sus subsystems in Linux sort of work, whereas where you have basically a server, because you're talking about doing RTP and streams over like TCP, which is actually creating mm -hmm. a network channel for, for doing audio, but that's not right. actually required if you're dealing with audio on your own machine. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to network right. stream audio. So, right. so maybe to the best of your understanding, just say how Pulse Audio works as far as simply just providing an audio stream to a person who's listening to something just on the local machine. Yes. So it it's even though it's not encoding over network packets, it's still a server client relationship, and so you still have essentially a Pulse server and a Pulse client. Now you can break those out as I would hope we'll talk about a little bit later, how you can send them over network, which is where you start to gain a lot of functionality and power. But the advantage of those, of that, of that architecture um, is that again, you can even just on a local machine, you can start to create um, various mixes. So I'll give you an example of something that, that we do all the time for the show. I want to take a piece of an audiobook and I want to clip a piece out and I want to, um, I want to play that back on the show. Now, the traditional way of doing that would be to play that out of one audio device, put it, pull it into a mixer, pull it back into a separate machine, record the audio, and then I could take it back into my DAW and cut it up. 
Pulse actually allows me to go into the Pavu control and I can actually tell it, I want to take this particular input and in software without any additional hardware, without any network stack, anything at all, just say, I want to take this particular input and I want to route it to this particular, or excuse me, I want to take this particular output. So like the output of Firefox audio, for example, in the case of audiobooks, in case of Audible, and I want to route that into Audacity and I can record that real time audio without Again, no network stack, all on a local machine, and that's all possible because of the of the architecture that is Pulse. Right. So, so when you're looking at something at a really, really high level, it's like you have this. This would be the true in a Windows machine or a Mac OS machine or a Linux machine. You basically have a volume slider. Everyone's familiar with that. That controls basically the your main mix. Now, what that's your main mix output. That's what you hear. Now, what's going into that main mix will be an application. It'll be, you know, Chrome or some other application that is generating audio. And so there is a there's a limited bit of audio routing happening there. It's coming out of your application, going into the main mix, coming out of whatever your output device is set to. Things like PAVU control actually allow you to get more into the Pulse Audio subsystem. It actually lets you look at all of your monitor devices, all your input devices, all your input applications, all your output devices, monitors and applications and literally set which thing goes in and where it comes out. Um, so so that is one of the powerful things about that. And that's all happening right on your machine. That, that doesn't require right. any kind of networking, any kind of fancy chicanery or anything like that. But Pulse Audio, what, what differentiates it from things like Alsa, although Alsa may have been able to do this, I'm not entirely sure, but Pulse Audio allows you to route net, or make your output device a network stream so so you can actually send you know your main mix to the internet and you can have something on the other end for example another pulse audio server that has an input bus via an rtp stream so it can then receive that and then channel it so you can be playing something on a computer in texas and be listening to it on another computer in norway if if you so want to so Uh, this is this is where, that's where I get excited is when we start talking about this kind of thing. Okay. Well, if you want to get excited and, and flesh that out a little bit, I'll let you. Yeah, because we yeah. actually have somebody in the in the chat room as well that's talking about uh, he's trying to transport his audio from his rig that he's running uh, FL rig on to another computer that he's just running FL Digi on. So he's trying to been he's been messing around with uh, Pulse Audio and trying to transport uh, transport the audio. So this would be very good information for him as well. Yeah, so the when it comes to network stuff, that is how that is that's where I probably have the most experience if I'm being honest. I, I've done smaller stuff. Um I, I've done smaller stuff on, on a local machine. Truthfully though, the most complicated stuff, it starts to involve networking. The way that our studio is set up is every single audio device is a network source, and every single device that receives audio is is a network uh, destination. And so we can send and receive uh, any audio stream anywhere in the facility, uh, including my office, I've got a, uh, an entire setup that I can press a button and the microphone and headphones become live in there. We can pull that anywhere and we can run at any distance because it's all at the end of the day, ones and zeros. Uh, keeping it, in mind, uh, just to butt in here for briefly, mm-hmm. keeping in mind, of course, that a network can be local host. So you can, yes. you can do a network stream on a loopback basically within the machine as well, even though that's, uh, not necessary in, in some cases, or at least in the case of Pulse Audio, because it can it can handle that natively. But if you want to work entirely in RTP streams, 
you can do that within a single host if you so desire. So it's interesting you say that the the board that I'm using, the console that I'm using, actually the 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 computer that runs it, uh, the microphone is an audio source that comes into that uh, that computer. It is actually an RTP stream and then feeds back into the computer. So that's exactly how I'm talking to you right now is the, the, the method that exactly what you described. So the, the, to the guy in the chat room, the, here's the, here's the TLDR answer you're looking for. Install, uh, let me see here if I remember the name of the software here. It's, uh, P, uh, P-A-P-R-E-F-S. I'm not, I have no idea how that, how you pronounce that. Paprefs, um, Pulse well, Audio Prefs. Pulse Audio Prefs. Yeah. P A Prefs. Yeah. PA press. So, um, so you, so you install that, uh, that package. And what that will do is it will create a couple of, of tabs inside of your audio properties. And, um, so there's, if I remember right, there's two of them. There's a network, t- there's a network access tab and there's a network server tab. And, um, all you, you, you simply install a package, open up the network access tab and check the little box that says make discoverable pulse audio uh, sound devices. And then on the network server tab, check the little box that says enable network access to local sound devices. And, and so what you will have done is you will tell the computer, look out on the network for any RTP streams that I can ingest as an audio as an audio uh, uh, source and also make any audio uh, source that I have available to other destinations on the network. And um, that's like a 30 second, 30 second thing to get audio connected like you were talking about. If you want to play audio in North Dakota, for example, and listen to it in Texas, that will get the job done right there. I have actually done that. When I've gone to HamFest, I will take Pulse Audio, I will enable TCP streams, I will set the latency to um, one millisecond because that's actually the lowest you can actually set it to. Uh, it doesn't actually do true art, um, real time, but it's, it's close. Um, and then I take my audio device, which is a rig interface, which is passing audio in from the speaker output of my rig, passing, passing it through a TCP stream where I go to a remote machine, say in Ohio, for example, fire up FL Digi, and then I reference the Pulse Audio input stream on that end, and I can actually listen to my rig decoding FL, or PSK um, from several hundred miles away. So it's interesting you talk about uh, the RTP stream and it not being real-time. Uh, obviously, there is no such thing as a true real-time RTP stream, right? Because we cannot generate a packet and have it received instantaneously. There's some form of delay. But we can get that delay down very, very low. So low, in fact, that it's not perceivable to the human ear. And um, the, 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 the system or the, to, to, to add on to PulseJack and, and um, ULSA, there is a newcomer on the um, – audio over IP scheme. Now, this is not an open source solution. It is a proprietary uh, solution from a, from a company that makes these things specifically for broadcast, but it's called Axia. And the idea of Axia or Axia Audio is we generate RTP streams that are is so close to real time that it's what I'm listening to in my headphones. So the, 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 uh, the stream that I'm listening to in my headphones right now is actually an RTP stream that's coming over over the network that's being generated by these Axia IP uh, software system. And so when I speak into the microphone, that's an RTP stream. It goes into the computer. The computer real-time adds processing, compression, gating, uh, equalization, all of those things to make my voice sound as good as it possibly can, and I need a lot of it. And then it sends that out over the uh, what we call the live wire network, and my headphones are plugged into that live wire network, and then they receive that RTP stream so real time that if you sat down in this chair, you would think that I'm just I have my headphones plugged into an amplifier, and it's it's all happening as if it was an analog board. 
Now, I know Bill put in here one question to ask you, and that was about real-time kernels, because there have yes. there are real-time build kernels, and do you actually use a real-time kernel? We do. So the Axios system cannot run on a standard uh, Linux kernel. It has to run on on a on on the real time kernel because the latency I forget exactly what it is what it is I believe it's a tenth of a millisecond is what is perceivable to the human ear so you have to be below that if you're going to use it for real time monitoring now like I say everything in the studio is 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 RTP right so I'll give you an example one of the things that we do is we send our program audio we call program bus one that's the main audio that goes over the FM air we send that over to the radio station now that doesn't have to be real time because it's it doesn't matter I don't care if it, in fact we intentionally delay it by 15 seconds in case people decide to use coarse language um, so that stream we don't bother running it through that 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 real time process and try to get that latency down so far we let it you know hang wherever wherever it winds up being but for all of the local in-studio monitoring stuff we have to run that on a real-time kernel and it, and and the that entire that computer that runs that axios system is specifically designed to be extraordinarily low latency and when they were designing the computer they looked at it and said yeah we really can't do this with any other operating system really the only operating system that is powerful that is capable of providing real-time rtp streams is in fact linux and so that's what the company went with, and uh, that makes them my new best friend. <laughs> All right, Bill. I know you have you've done a lot of work here on asking questions and stuff, and I've been monopolizing this. So I'm going to let you take over for a few minutes and, and guide the conversation. I was just installing Paprefs. <laughs> he wants to I, I play with us right now. One of the yeah, exactly. I, I happen to drop off the stream. You know why? <laughs> <laughs> No, I've been uh, I've been playing with Pulse lately, and uh, I ran into uh, uh, Pulse Effects, which uh, seems to be a cool little in between utility to uh, add some uh, sort of live effects and stuff like that between the client and uh, I'm assuming the server and between the applications and stuff like that. Uh, have you messed around with that? I haven't. Anytime I start to add real time effects, uh, again, so the the effects that I'm adding here are done with Akia, but anytime I've done that, I've always done that with Jack. Oh, okay. So Pulse is just a little too slow, you think? Um, I it, it it is that Jack is a little bit more lean. It's a little bit faster. The other issue I've run into is, I, well, we can't really avoid a conversation about Jack at this point. But so the, <laughs> the, the the way to get really great effects in audio processing is to use um, plugins, and the the audio plugins they have these plugins that are specifically designed. Um, for DAWs by a, 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 a wide swath of companies. And then they produce these essentially, not, not entirely accurate, but essentially universal plugins that you can plug into to any DAW that supports them. And um, so I have played with, uh, there's a, you can you can do this in our door. It's a little bit more challenging. The easiest way to get it set up if you just want to get started and just kind of play with it is to use um, something like Reaper. And uh, Reaper runs on Linux is fine and supports all of these digital audio workstation plugins and obviously supports Jack. And uh, it they have condensed, they have idiot-proofed Jack down into a little matrix. So you open up the audio router and it literally is an XY uh, matrix. And you can just say, I want this input to be audible here. I want this input to be audible there. I want that output to go to this input. And you just place check marks. Uh, between, you know, you've got your x-axis is, you know, your destinations, your y-axis is your is your source, and you can just place x's, and it will do all of the heavy lifting for Jack underneath. And I don't talk about it a lot, 
And I'm not real proud of it because it's not open source. And I would really like it if it was open source, but I'm a very lazy human being. Um, and so, and, and it's just a way to get started with this stuff. And as I've kind of branched out and, and done more and more, I've obviously, I've gotten away from that. So nothing in here right now is running Reaper. Um, but that is actually how I got started. It was a great way for me to understand conceptually how to do things. And it's also a great way where if you've got people that are interested in coming over to Linux, but they look at this stuff and they go, well, that's a roadblock. Cause I just don't have the time to learn an entire Linux. I don't have time to become a Linux audio subsystem expert. I just need to be able to get audio from a ham radio into this, you know, web stream or whatever you're doing with it. That's a really easy, straightforward way to get started. Yeah. And uh, Reaper's like fairly recent, at least uh, availability to Linux, as far as I'm aware. It's, it's almost been on like a hidden page for a while where you, you couldn't even find it to install it. And then uh, I guess it started making its way out, what, like probably what, six months ago or so, something like that. Um, uh, yeah, a couple months ago is when it came public. You know, they, they, again, yeah. like you say, they've had it for a long, long time. They've ported it for Linux for, for a couple of years now. But they, you're right. Not only did they have it on a hidden page, not on their company page, nothing like that. Um, and they had a specific user agreement that pro that prohibited you from sharing the link or posting the link or linking to the link. You couldn't, I mean, they just, they didn't want anybody to know about it unless you like told somebody. And, uh, it was just really weird. And, and for, I, I refused to purchase Reaper because of that. I wouldn't give them money because I thought if you, if you don't even want people that want to use your product, if you don't want them to find it, what, how serious is your commitment to Linux? And of course, now they have you know, come out and said, no, we fully support Linux and here it is. And they, it's published on their website now. And it's, and everybody kind of said, oh, that's really cool. Um, hot on the heels of, of, uh, I believe it was a tractor or traction or whatever the other one is that has come out. And so I think now there's, now there's real competition, not only from the open source guys, but also from the commercial guys. And I don't fear that. And I don't worry about it because one, I think that in general, when you pair an open source versus a proprietary piece of software, the open source guys usually come out ahead. And that's why everybody has heard of Clonezilla. And I don't think there's a lot of people using, what was the Norton product? Uh, I can't even think of the name now. Oh, Ghost. Ghost, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I walk into IT firms now, people that have no allegiance to Linux, and those guys are all over Clonezilla. So I welcome the competition because I think as people come out with, with you know, with Reaper and their, their audio router, a simple XY audio router, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at it and go, hey, we should do something like that in Ardour, and we should do something like that in LMMS. And, and, and pretty soon we'll have those same kind of bells and whistles because it's a cool thing and it is beneficial. Yeah, a lot of people would say, well, there's Gladish, stuff like that, that you right. kind of have that sort of, uh, you know, the GUI interface for the routing where you have all your apps and your syncs and everything else, and you kind of build it all out there, and then you, then you those come into people have never <laughs> Those people have never set Gladys up. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried. It's not fun. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I did. I did play around with Reaper when uh, when it was became available, and uh, I was I was kind of impressed on on how simple it kind of made certain things. And then I was like, well, let me let me go back to our door and let me look look at what I was missing, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really hoping that that stuff like that does provoke um, more people involved in the type of stuff, saying, well, yeah, we can just tack this on here and and make this easier here because it's it's always been a stumbling block and i mean we talked about it before that that you know coming from something where you can download you know even in you know say windows for free you can you know download uh what voice meter and stuff like that and you know it does all kinds of audio routing and and, and buses it's a virtual mixer on your system and i was like man why isn't there something that simple exactly just for, <laughs> just for linux <laughs> You know, Pulse is almost there. You know, I mean, it's like you, you can almost get it to do everything that you really needed to do if you're like, you know, not not needing that professional that professional level of uh, 
uh, audio delay and stuff like that. But I've always uh, always been interested in, in Jack just to kind of like, you know, take my mixer and throw it away and just use everything on the computer. And, you know, whether that means using a few computers and then just using Jack, um, you know, RTP streams and whatnot to kind of layer everything together. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just try to uncouple from all the hardware because it's like every time you travel, I'm thinking like I gotta pack the mixer and uh, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. or, or I'm packing a you know, I gotta pack this stupid USB mic that's not really that great, and I have no you know, no filtering, no limiter, no presser, no gate, no nothing. And uh, you know, those are the kind of things that that I think about going on the road versus uh, you know, wow, if I had like a a full software solution. Then I just plug my, you know, whatever mic I have available to me, make it sound, you know, grand and send it off. Exactly. I, I looked up uh, just because we were talking about you know, what your needs are. So one to three milliseconds is completely undetectable. Three to 10 milliseconds is there's an audible shift in voice character, what they call a comb filter effect. And then 10 to 30 milliseconds is a slight echo um, and, and that, that somewhere between, I wouldn't say it's as high as, as 30 milliseconds, but somewhere between that 10 and maybe 15, maybe as high as 20 milliseconds is kind of what you see the pulse, uh, networking come in. And so again, we can use it for some things, but it's, it would be very difficult to use it for real time audio monitoring. Yeah. Yeah. When I use a pulse, uh, specifically, I actually use a, a different microphone <laughs> so I can hear myself that actually has its own, uh, own, uh, you know, monitor. So it's a it's a real time monitor that's just hardware driven, and uh, then I use Pulse for everything else after that. Awesome, yeah, no, that's fantastic. I, and I think as time progresses, I think models like yours are only going to get more and more common. One of the things that I have seen, I'm actually watching this happen in the broadcast industry right now. For the longest time, when we wanted to get high quality, uh, low latency, bi directional audio, so like you and I want to have a conversation. Um, you used to purchase a very expensive hardware codec. And so you'd have like an ISDN uh, device that would connect uh, t- two, two studios together. And then we could send bi-directional, essentially CD quality audio back and forth. Yeah, full duplex. That was the point of the ISDN connection. Exactly. And what I'm watching happen now, obviously there are companies that have come out and made IP versions of uh, these ISDN codecs. They They have these IP codecs, but what I'm watching the industry doing, they're actually not gravitating toward that. What they're actually going towards is software-based uh, codecs. And um, one of the most popular software-based codecs is a service called um, – uh, what is the name of it now? It is the, the, So what we did was we actually mapped one of our uh, – we actually mapped uh, a, a URL – so I don't have the uh, I'll, I'll, source connect there. There it is. Uh, we mapped a, a URL, so we never actually type in source connect. But there's a service <laughs> called source connect. And what source connect does is it creates a bidirectional uh, audio stream between these two people. And guess what source connect is using to power all of this? Linux. They <laughs> what they found was they, they went to do licensing and they tried to look at various audio codecs. So this the standard, I guess, as it were, for uh, voice communication would be like the voice standard for for telephones and that's g7.11 and they there's a there's a there's a codec that is you have to pay for it but it's effectively double the the bandwidth that's g7.22 uh and it sounds about twice as good as a phone call which isn't bad i guess but it's certainly not great and um uncompressed pcm wave is obviously too too much to to encode over a network stream and so what what the industry has settled on believe it or not is opus 
And uh, they have tuned, they have implementations of Opus that are tuned specifically for broadcast to the point that when we have people that connect into this studio and we do a couple little tricks with processing and stuff like that, but by the time we get done, even though those people are remote, you'd have no idea those people aren't sitting in the studio with me. And that's all thanks to the audio power of Linux and the codecs from the open source community. Yeah, that's great. Let's see what else we have here. So, Jack, 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 low latency. So, if you were to get started with Jack, I mean, would you go with a specific distribution or something like that? Or would you just yes. just go ahead and you would? Okay. I, I would, and here's why. It's not that Jack, Jack is Jack, right? You can install the package on any distribution, and supposedly it will function exactly the same on, on any distribution. I, deep down in my core, have been, always will be a beloved Fedora user. I just like Fedora. And uh, what I found when it comes to audio production is that all of the machines in here are running Ubuntu. And the reason isn't that I couldn't get Jack to run on Fedora. Jack doesn't run in Fedora. It's nothing like that. But all of the guides and all of the scripts and all of the, the communities and troubleshooting, it's all based around Ubuntu. And so if you're just getting started, start with Ubuntu. Now, later on, you can look down the road and say, well, I know how to get everything set up. So let me just, you know, tweak my workflow a little bit to fit on Arch or uh, Debian proper or Fedora, whatever you want to use. Red Hat Enterprise. We have one Red Hat box that's here. Um, that, and, and that's why is because all, all of the, the, the entire support infrastructure is kind of built around Ubuntu. Is there a specific Ubuntu you would recommend, like Ubuntu Studio or something? Or do you think any Ubuntu is fine? I think one of the issues that I've, I've seen addressed when it comes to installing Jack is that the first thing you really have to do is disable the Pulse subsystem. And that's not necessarily intuitive to most people. Yeah, I, I, I guess I would not. I don't personally go with Ubuntu Studio. I've used it once. Uh, we we have uh, our our video edit bay where we do all of our video editing. The, all those machines are running Ubuntu Studio, but I'd be lying to you if I told you exactly why. That I, I pay somebody else to deal with that kind of thing. <laughs> so I wasn't. That's not my. That's not my cup of tea. Um, these machines were that are in the studio here were so custom configured, and there were so many little things that we tweaked and modified and stuff that we basically started with just stock Ubuntu and built our way up. I will tell you this. This. I still am stuck on um, 1404 on for the, uh, I'm sorry, 1604, excuse me. I'm still stuck on 1604 because Unity and the audio, the audio uh, system inside of Unity and the way that the controls function and all that is absolutely flawless. Um, there is one tiny itty bitty problem, a uh, little tiny bug in that also does not correctly identify the sample rate sometimes. Um, and that's literally a matter of opening up a config file and commenting out or maybe uncommenting a line to statically set the sample rate. And that problem goes away. And um, other than that, the machines that are in this studio have not not so much been as rebooted in the time, except for uh, obviously in the case of a power failure. Uh, we don't even reboot the machines and they work 24 seven, 365. They have to because I do about 50 percent of my shows outside of the studio. And if I'm not if the machines aren't reliable, broadcast reliable, our show doesn't go out and we get a fine from the FCC. Well, that's good incentive. So if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna build a machine uh, that let's try and be distribution agnostic here, but if you wanted to build a machine that had fully capable audio routing setup in it, what packages would you consider to be essential to that setup? Um, well, first thing, obviously, Pulse Audio. Obviously, Pulse Audio module, uh, is it zero? Zero conf. Oh, yeah, zero conf. Thank you. Um, the Avahi Daemon. Um, 
if you want to run, uh, if you're, if it's going to be an, if it, let's, let's say it's an X, uh, let's say it's a headless machine because sometimes, so for example, the machine that encodes our audio stream that, that sends out to the world, uh, that machine is headless. There's no reason for it to be running a desktop because it doesn't do anything. It literally takes audio, encodes it into an RTP stream, puts it up on our website. No reason to have a, 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 um, a graphic environment on that. Um, that machine, well, you have to, you have to install, I believe it's Dbus. Dash X11, I think is the name of the package. Um, and you have to have that package there in order for the, uh, the, the post system to work without a, without a, um, without a graphical environment out of it. Um, and if I'm doing network, then obviously, uh, paper FS or, uh, PA prefs, um, because all of the stuff that we do, we're sending over the network because that's just the way we do. That's just the way that the studio set up. And then for me personally, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend anybody else do that unless you're doing some sort of broadcast is we also install all of the uh, Axia uh, packages to get the audio in and out of our Axia live wire network. Okay, so Axia is closed source pay software. You know, I'm not sure if the I, I assume it is, uh, although I will tell you, Fred Gleason, the, the gentleman who developed the driver, is a huge open source. In fact, he um, he developed one of the world's uh, most robust broadcast uh, audio appliances. So basically, it is a machine that controls all of the audio inside of a studio specifically for the purpose of broadcast uh, software is completely open source called uh, Rivendell. And um I was a little hesitant. I, you know, my, I'm such a brash individual and I'm such a uh, arrogant individual that I, I tend to think, I tend to go to the least common denominator. So I've, I've been lovingly referred to as the Walmart Linux user because I, I'll always <laughs> shrink down to the, to the, uh, to the lowest common denominator. And so when I, when we're setting up the studio, we're sitting there and we're going to say, well, we're going to play the intro. We're going to play the outro. We're going to do this. I, I, I literally, I wrote a cron job and I went, at this particular time, take MP, uh, whatever it was, MPG321 or whatever the, the command line program to play an MP3 was. And I was like, at this particular time, play this audio device. I mean, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, right? Um, and obviously, it makes flexibility hugely impractical because you go to do a, we go to do a, uh, an episode that we didn't plan on doing. And all of a sudden, we have to fire an intro. And, well, how do you do that? Because it's in a cron job. It takes me a couple minutes to get VI up and to, to edit and all that, right? So... This particular piece of software, totally open source, Rivendell, allows you to do podcasting, broadcasting, whatever you want to do, and it is specifically designed for all of those things. So it has, you know, large touchscreen interface, so I can fire sounders at will. I can schedule, I want to play, you know, music at this time, I want to fade it out at this rate, I want you to cut off the silence when I have a clip, if I import it, for example. I want you to go through and cut out all of the areas of silence, because I don't want to be airing dead air, so condense that down. The 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 software will do all of that, and all of that from top to bottom is open source server client, the whole nine yards. And, and Fred lovingly gave that to the open source community because he believes in open source and Linux so much. So I have a hard time conceptualizing how a guy like that would write a proprietary driver, but I know that I had to pay them for that driver. And I'm not sure that I've never seen the source code available. Granted, I haven't looked. It makes me a bad open source steward. <laughs> it just works, right? <laughs> well, that's that's just kind of it. it was we needed it to be able to get audio in and in and out of our our broadcast board. Um, so it's just in you know <laughs> we didn't have a choice. But it, it is a absolutely fantastic system because it allows you to do everything at a sub three millisecond uh, delay. So I can send audio anywhere in the building and retrieve audio anywhere in the building in less than three milliseconds. Uh, well, we all we all fall victim to practicality from time to time. I mean, it's it's you know it's unavoidable. Uh, right. we, we'd all like to say that we do everything in the open source world. We promote open source wherever possible. We only do free wherever possible. We, um, you know, 
that, that we're the, the goody goodies of the open source world that we all know that doesn't actually happen in reality. Uh, right. And I, th- and I think that's entirely okay. I mean, like I said, I'm still broadcasting on Mac OS. Um, right. So, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean I can't promote, you know, what I think well, is better. For sure. That's okay. Even Apple left that, that Mac behind. So you're fine. <laughs> that's right. Even Apple no longer supports my Apple. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. open source now. It's, it's your problem. <laughs> Linux, that's right. Linux is, is ready and waiting for you, brother. Whenever you're ready, it will install on that Mac just fine. No, it, it absolutely will. And as soon as I figure out how to get audio writing working on it, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure that I've actually got enough out, information out of this <laughs> discussion to make that happen. But I've definitely got a bunch of resources that I can use and a few utilities that I can look at to point me in the right direction for sure. Uh, you did bring up a Vahi demon, which I think is a Fedorism. That's a Red Hatism, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, I just wanted to make that clear because we were talking about Ubuntu. You brought that up, and I'm pretty sure that's a, that's a Red Hat only uh, construct. Uh, so don't be looking for that in your Ubuntu systems. Yeah, that's what the zero comp basically does. Right, right. Yeah. The same idea. <clears throat> but Avahi Demon has been specifically for, for Red Hat <clears throat> and derivatives. Yeah, that, and we, we just need that for one machine to discover the other. That's what handles the, you know, the multicast DNS and all that good stuff. <clears throat> right. It's like, um, what is it? It's zero conf. And what's the appleism for that? Uh, welcome or bonjour, I think. Bonjour. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Bonjour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Which is welcome, just in a different language. You know how that works. All right. Wee so, wee. <laughs> oh, wee wee. All right. Do we have <laughs> any uh, other things that we need to? What, what was the Axios thing? The Axia, yeah. sorry, that's the Axia that he's been talking about. I, I just oh, typed that oh, wrong. You just, you just typed it correctly. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Uh, I know we talked about Rivendell a couple of times in the past, and I didn't realize that it kind of did everything I might be looking for. Uh, I was looking at, have you ever used um, Mix, M-I-X-X-X? <laughs> uh, you're, you're talking about things that are near and dear to my heart. So, okay. Um. I'll tell you a quick story. So back in in um in 2010, Ultaspeed, my day job, my company that we do commercial IT, we get a call from this um fraternity and they said we want you to install a power amplifier. Uh, do you do PA work? And the the guy that was the technician that I'd sent out there to to work with these guys to to troubleshoot their system, we were installing some network stuff, and he said, "Well, we want this PA system." So he calls me up and he says, "Yeah, I want. They want to do this PA system. Would you um?" Do we do that? And I said, well, we do now because, you know, we got to make a buck. So uh, tell them yes, and we'll figure out how in a minute. So he says, yes, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we do that. So they said, okay. So we, we go and we order them a PA. We install the system, and it sounded fantastic. I was really happy with it. And uh, the very first party, a uh, <clears throat> inebriated gentleman uh, poured a 20-ounce beer inside of this brand-new Crown 1,000-watt amp. And needless to say, the Crown was not thirsty and uh, gave up the magic smoke. And that was the end of their crown amp. So they call call me up. They said, we have this huge party next weekend. We don't know what we're going to do. And I said, well, here's the thing. I've got another amplifier, but I'm not letting y'all use it. If you want to use it, you're going to have to pay one of our guys to come out there and run it for you because I don't want beer poured in it. They said, okay, that's fine. So we charge them a couple hundred bucks. And I sent this this kid out who really, his his he was trained to do IT installations. I mean, he really didn't know anything about, you know, playing music. But uh, it turns out he kind of embraced it and he went online and was learning how to essentially be a DJ. Goes out and does the party and they say, that was fantastic. Replace the amp, but we want you guys back every time we do this party. It's great. So we started to develop a relationship with the with the Greek um, you know, community to go at fraternities and sororities and play at these parties. And that eventually evolved into weddings and, and so on and so forth. And when that business kind of 
took off, we started looking at software solutions and we sat down in a meeting and the guy that was doing this and the guy who was the director of operations at the time said, well, what are, what are the requirements here? And I said, my only requirement is whatever it is we use has to run on Linux. Well, that narrowed the software scope down to about mm, one piece of software and it was Mix. Turns out Mix was such a fantastic, amazing piece of software that the 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 kid who was going to go out and have to use this and really sat down in the meeting to sell us whatever it was, the other alternative proprietary piece of junk that he was using, when he actually sat down and played with Mix, he was like, this is way better. This is way better for a number of reasons. And um, we actually had at one point, we actually had Mix set up so that all of our live stuff that we were doing was actually being simulcast out over a web stream. And so you could, quote unquote, join the party. And so you would have students that you know couldn't make it or whatever and they would just they'd check in to see how things were going and we would do little updates and stuff and it turned out to be a real fun thing and since then that business or that area of the business i guess i should say has been the hands down the most profitable uh yeah i don't know i don't know what you call it division i guess of ulta speed and the reason is largely thanks to the quality and price tag of mix because they they offer it for free and it's a fantastic piece of software fast forward a couple years later we set up i worked with a with a a small um, fm radio station and we were setting them up and they asked what software we use hey here comes mix again and we actually had mix running the radio station for a while eventually turned that into rivendell um when i came in here and set up this uh this studio my intro and outro was scripted but any of the other audio that i wanted to play on demand we did that with mix for a while and then now again Rivendell replaces all of that because it combines a scheduling system with a instant playout system with a music library with an automation controller that can turn on and off microphones and, you know, ingest audio from FTP and do all these crazy things. But before we had all of that, we were absolutely using Mix and I have nothing bad whatsoever to say about them. Great project. Fantastic piece of software. Well, that's excellent. So would you consider Rivendell a kind of podcast studio in a box? I mean, would it would exactly. it be useful that way? That's exactly what it is. So it, 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 what Rivendell allows you to do is ingest audio and, and, and play audio out or play audio back into the ingest. And so uh, it's, it's much easier to demo than it is to explain, but the, but the, that is kind of the hub of this entire studio is anything I do runs through Rivendell. So Rivendell, for example, has the ability to control all of the devices in here. So for example, if I turn the microphone on, the speakers above my head shut off. When I turn the microphone off, the speakers come on so I don't have to wear headphones like when I was waiting for you, for, uh, you guys to when we were getting connected. And I, I came in a little bit early and I thought, well, I'll just hang out in the mumble room. So I just hang in. I don't have my headphones on or anything. It just comes over the speakers over my head. When I hear somebody say hello, now I can put my headphones on, turn my microphone off. The speakers above my head automatically mute. All of that is because all of the devices in here are talking to one another and all of them know what each one of them are doing. And the central hub of that is Rivendell. All right, so we have distilled the last hour and few minutes into Rivendell. That that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if you want to get started, that I mean, but that like Jack, be it's the difference is Rivendell just takes about thirty seconds to get set up and it'll work. But prepare to put as much time into learning Rivendell as you would put into. Well, I should probably more as you put into Jack because there are that many options in it. Does Rivendell use Jack? Yes, it does. Okay. So, so it is the it is the 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 UI layer on top of all these other subsystems that kind of integrates everything and makes it all work. It does, as well as integrates into the um, the serial port, so you can do close contacts uh, um, 
I guess it's not the serial. We have a special card for that, but there's a there's a company called Audio Science that makes these uh, that makes these. Uh, they're basically broadcast quality audio cards, and um, you can use those to to send audio in and out. Um, but the issue with those are one, they're frightfully expensive. But the other thing is the the real thing that they add is not that their audio quality is vastly superior to anything else you'd use, but the the real advantage is that they offer um, large amounts of pinouts at the back, and so with those we can we can control things. So do you use anything in the hardware space as far as audio routing, or do you rely entirely in software at this point? 100, 100% in software at this point. Everything has a, it, it's all being done inside. The, the only analog device in the studio is the, 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 the end of the microphone cable to the, to the tabletop. That's an analog run. And then from my headphones up to my ears, those are the only two analog runs in the studio. Everything else is being done in software. No, that is that's truly fantastic and i did touch on before we started the program that you do a live call-in show which means you have a phone interface of some kind as well and that's something i would like to entertain as well to be able to have live callers on the show whether it be done via voip or actual uh, analog connection or some other way of producing phone audio into the studio whether that can be routed you know internally using rivendell or whatever but what kind of interface do you use to do that part of the, the setup so we use all telos equipment because the telos is the company that makes the axia system and it makes it um very easy to to integrate everything together um the the term that you're looking for is something called a, a hybrid and and what a hybrid is, is it is a device that connects your phone system or your phone lines to uh, your audio console. Now, obviously, we don't have physical phone lines. They're all uh, they're all VoIP, but um, and they all come in a SIP. But the but that's the idea is that and when what the hybrid does is it takes a mix minus from the board and sends it out to the caller and then brings the audio in. Now, there's going to be somebody out there that's that's going to say, well, my my cell phone has a headphone jack on it and I can plug a microphone and a headphone cable into it. And why why do you have to spend thousands of dollars on this hybrid thing? Why couldn't you just use a, a cell phone adapter? And the reason is phones were not made for what we use them today. Right. They just weren't. And so a phone is not. And I think you touched on this is not a duplex device it can only send or receive at any one given time and there's a little bit of magic that goes on in a, in a telephone call when you start talking it instantly mutes the other guy's microphone and when he starts talking it instantly mutes your microphone and if you have it on speakerphone you can kind of hear where that audio cuts out a little bit because it's a little bit more aggressive but in broadcast that presents a problem to us because i can't have somebody i i can't rely on the phone system to do that, that, uh, that instantaneous muting, or you would hear it on the air. And so what the hybrid does is it separates out those channels as best it can and does a very good job of getting true separation so that my sending audio isn't being received back. And then it adds, there's actually a built-in audio processor that processes the audio. So it brings everybody up to the same level. It compresses everybody. If somebody is screaming into their phone, it brings them down a little bit, uh, and, and makes everything sound really, really awesome and smooth. And that's the sound that you actually hear when you listen to the show. And that's all being done in that phone hybrid. All right. So this is a question probably only for me, but it might help somebody else if they're actually doing this kind of thing and interested in this kind of thing. But sure. what is or wh who do you use, I should say, as an inbound SIP provider? We use a, uh, a well, the... Uh, so here's the here's the here's that, that question is a bit complicated. So our phone number is hosted with one provider and there is a separate provider that actually provides the, the phone system that that comes in. 
um, the short answer to your question is the 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 provider that you want to use is Vox Telesis. And what Vox Telesis will do is they will purchase a phone number for you and they will bring they'll just give you authentication details and then you can log your SIP device in. So if you're using the Telus VX, then you log that into the, the SIP system and then those lines become exposed to your your telephone system and they'll handle all of that for you. In fact, so it was interesting when we started a second show out of the studio, the Schmidt show, and uh, and he wanted his own phone number. We just called Vox Telesis up and said, yeah, we need another line po- pointed to the studio. And they did some telephone magic and got us a second phone number. And that phone number now comes in as a separate stream to uh, to the exact same studio and the exact same telephone hybrid. So it doesn't matter which one of the phones you call. The only difference is they change the uh, the voicemail on his is different than mine. And how many inbound channels do you get and how do you control them? So with SIP, you have virtually unlimited, right? You, there is no limit. It's just you pay a penny per minute. So I can have 256 calls, 500 calls, 10,000 calls if I want. Um, and it would all come in. I pay six cents a minute. I intentionally limit the system to six lines because I don't want to pay for, well, for a couple of reasons. One is I don't want to make somebody from Russia sit on hold for 50 minutes, and I probably never will get to their call because if we've got six calls lined up, it takes me between five and 10 minutes to answer a call. We'll never get to that last guy. The The second reason is I don't want to pay to have 10 people sit on hold that I'm never going to get to. So we figure the most calls we're ever going to take in a one-hour session is six calls, so we limit it to six lines. Okay. Uh, and how do you control the calls as far as the audio routing? So, uh, sorry, as far as the audio routing. In other words... You you have a device that creates a channel that that brings those into your audio system so that you can play them back and mix minus them and do whatever you have to do as far as how you hear them or how they're broadcast out to the FM station or to the internet or whatnot. But how do you actually manage the calls? Oh 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 oh. So the uh, the that is another piece of open source software called Asterix, um, and it's not. Uh, I don't use Asterix Plane because Asterix Plane is like. Uh, you know, it's all nitty gritty. So we use uh, a software called FreePBX and FreePBX is a, um, how do I explain it? It's basically a graphical UI that's layered over the, uh, over Asterix. And with FreePBX, then you can, there, there actually is a, a call manager built into it that you can, you can set up all sorts of things. You can set up a hunt pattern. You can set up a call queue. You can have people, uh, I could have it just automatically hang up. I could have them call them back when I'm available to take their calls. All of that stuff is being done with, with Asterix. That's the back end. I think is what you're looking for. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I personally am, um, quite familiar with Asterix and FreePBX. I had those set up here for quite a while and did all of my inbound calling via that system as well asterisk is is something that's kind of in my wheelhouse um sure but as far as do you does free pbx allow you to actually see does it graphically represent because i didn't use free bx free pbx itself i actually use asterisk and i use something called well i can't remember there there was a it was called something operator or a flash operator panel is what i used um that Created, well, using Flash, of course. So, yeah, whatever. And whatever you feel about Flash, you can not, <laughs> feel free to not elucidate. Um, but it, it allowed you to see, like, inbound calls, how many channels were open and stuff like that, switch between calls, put things on hold, so on and so forth. Does free PBX allow you to see, like, all six inbound channels? You choose which one you want, so on. Yes, I could do it that way. However, the issue with doing it that way would be that the callers that are on hold would hear some sort of hold music or something like that so we manage the calls are 
I don't know. I guess the so the calls are answered, quote unquote, right away as soon as they come in. As soon as you call the the one eight hundred number, the calls are quote unquote answered, and they sit inside of the hybrid, and we send a feed back to that that caller. In the hybrid, I choose which of those six lines I want to be exposed to my broadcast council to actually air. Does that does that make sense? It does make sense. Do you do you just let them sit on hold and hear the audio stream coming back so they know that they're connected, or do you have a call screener exactly. or uh, both? The answer is both. So okay. the call screener picks up and she will obviously screen the calls and find out what they want and um, and hang up on the people that are clearly out to cause trouble and um, <laughs> and then add that information in for me and then I can choose from the hybrid which of those calls I want to take and it also lets me structure the show a little bit if I've got three calls that are talking that are that dovetail nicely into a topic we're talking about, I'll take those calls right away. If I've got somebody that's way out in left field and I'm in the middle of talking about something else, well, I don't want to break from that topic, go to the call and then come back to the topic. So I'll finish the topic. And then if that guy or gal is still there, then we'll, we'll take their call. Um, and yeah, that is all a function of the, the hybrid itself. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question about the telephone system, then we can go back sure. to audio writing. But um, <laughs> so, so how is the information about the caller that's handled by the call screener presented to you so you know which line to pick up when you want to take something it's uh just a very basic we used to for the for the longest time we actually use slack uh slack or, or telegram and we just have a channel and she would just type uh so and so is online you know three and this is his question or whatever um now we just have a basic little html thing that we put together that where i have six slots and so as a call comes in she can you know, write that out and, and, and put that in there. And the plan is, and this isn't implemented yet, but our plan is we are eventually going to, uh, the protocol for interfacing with the hybrid is open. And so our plan is in the next year to write the system such that I will actually won't have to go, but I won't have to juggle between two systems. That little web thing I, I want to actually control. I want to actually close contacts, relay contacts on the hybrid with that system. And I, that is possible. I, we just haven't had a chance to actually do it yet. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you have a thought that you have not implemented yet as well. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, well, time and money. Everything is time and money. Because that, what that's going to involve, that's going to involve, because I'm not a developer. I don't play one on TV. That's involve me sending and develop my own expense, probably to Telos Alliance headquarters. And uh, he's going to have to go play with their engineers. And then they can speak geek and uh, have truck time. And then hopefully he comes back with a solution. and. And, you know, it doesn't cost thousands of dollars, hopefully. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, good. I'm going to get off the, the PBX and the SIP topic because that, that was truly interesting to me. And I, I hope somebody else got something out of that other than just me, because um, that, that's something I've been interested in a long time. And I, I like the, uh, the idea that we could probably put something together like that. I don't think we're going to be like switching over to a call-in show anytime, but it would be really nice to be able to have the ability uh, to take a live caller um at some point and and i just kind of wanted to ferret out as much information about that as i could so if we can jump back into audio routing which was supposed to be the topic of this uh <laughs> conversation uh is there anything i left out of the etherpad bill that we need to address uh nothing specifically if there's anything that uh, noah can think about that we haven't talked about yet that would be important to someone getting maybe started in audio routing um that would probably be useful sure um the only thing I can think of that we do a lot with that we haven't really talked about um, is uh, multicast versus point-to-point uh, -point streaming. So one of the things that we do quite frequently is um, we have certain audio devices 
that are in multicast mode. And so they essentially send out every audio packet to everybody that's willing to listen. And so we can, we can receive those audio packets anywhere. And so that a good example of that would be our program feed that, that, that stream that is sent out of our broadcast console program one is picked up by the device that sends it out to our FM radio station. It is picked up by the thing that actually gets recorded. All, all of the, all of those things come off of that single multicast stream. So we can send that stream once and receive it in multiple places. The second thing we do is a point to point stream. So when we actually go out to um, try to think, so when I'm remote, for example, and uh, we're going to create a bi-directional RTP stream, those are point-to-point connections. And so understanding the difference between multi-point and point-to-point is important because in a multicast environment, um, it requires basically you to have a second network. So we have two networks in the facility. We've got our quote-unquote admin network, and then we have our audio network, and the two never shall meet. Because if you try to put multicast audio packets on an admin network, uh, it's going to be a bad day because most <laughs> network devices are just not built to handle that kind of traffic. Yeah, it's like uh, you know a huge broadcast domain. Yeah, we do exactly. Te- we do television in our com- uh, company, so we are you know unfortunately familiar with multicast. Um, <laughs> it's it's a great technology, and it does it consolidates bandwidth on a massive scale. I mean, because you couldn't you couldn't really do at least not in the way we do things transmit video in a point-to-point way i mean there's just too much bandwidth there and multicast eliminates that problem but multicast talkers and multicast receivers are a a different breed if you if it's something you haven't really dealt with so i I understand how you and and we were actually broadcasting multicast on our admin network for a while until everyone figured out that was a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) why does my print job take five minutes (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah we've moved on from that all right sorry about that all right so i i think i've asked all the questions that were in the etherpad and all the ones i could think of um so we'll we'll open it up real quick here to the chat room if anyone is in there listening who might have a question for noah if you feel free to post it in there now and uh we'll we'll make this a a, a, an abbreviated version of the ask noah show and of course uh (laughs) while, while we're waiting to see if anybody has any questions where can they actually listen to the ask noah show or even call in Sure. So we do the show live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central over at AskNoahShow.com. We've got a whole free number, so anybody can give us a call at 1-866. What's my phone number? 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 855-450-6624. See what happens? When I get totally uh, out of the swing of things, I do two shows. I do the Ask Noah Show every Tuesday at 6 p.m., and then I also fill in at another radio station uh, KNOX and I, I do politics and they have a totally different call in number and totally different email address. And so take me a second. <laughs> if I don't start with the intro, I don't get into ask Noah mode. <laughs> and I can't even remember. <laughs> and then our, you know, our business number is starts with eight, six, six. And so that's the number I'm most commonly giving out. But yeah, one eight fifty five four fifty Noah eight five five four five zero six six two four and ask Noah show.com at 6 PM Tuesday. So tomorrow actually is going to be, it's, you know, anybody that's in the Linux world knows that, uh, the Linux world is exploding right now, thanks to this code of conduct and Linus Torvald saying that he is going to step down. And so we are going to dig deep into that. And uh, we're going to bring on some controversial people that have some controversial opinions about the whole subject. And uh, it's going to be a good time. We're going to see if we can irritate a lot of people. <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic. That's what we like to hear. And I know we'll be addressing that topic as well, because the open source world, I'm sure, will be in a certain state of turmoil over all of these announcements. Uh, so... I haven't heard anything in the chat room. I think most people are either just like deeply enjoying all of this stoned or have gone to bed. So um, we can probably 
go ahead and wrap this up. Is there any other information you'd like to give out about yourself or, or anything else before we kind of wrap this up and let you uh, go get some sleep or whatever it is you do on Monday nights? I guess uh, follow us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. Or you can follow me personally at Colonel Linux and uh, hope to see somebody there. Hope to see some of you guys there tomorrow night at, at 6 p.m. Central for the Ask Noah Show. Should be a good episode. Oh, I have no doubt. I was listening to you. I, I you know, picked a couple of episodes that I want to listen to of the uh, Ask Noah Show kind of at random and i chose the one where you were talking to jeremy sands about southeast linux fest and i have to say there was some great information that came out of that interview (laughs) yeah that was uh that was man they were you should have seen the production team run around like chickens with their heads cut off about when i said i was going to go on the air and and talk about some of that stuff (laughs) well we linux in the hamshack was actually at not the first one not the one that was at clemson but the first two that happened at the marriott nice um we were we were at both of those um and we we haven't been back since because south carolina is just well in in now north carolina is just far too far of a drive for us um but we did get to participate in the second and third southeast linux fest and they were really fun and jeremy and, and all of the crew down there are fantastic and uh but to hear some of the backstory and some of the the things that went on behind the scenes of southeast linux fest were truly truly interesting listening and if you have not checked that out uh you really should listen to that episode of, of ask noah it's fantastic thank you guys I, I appreciate that uh jeremy's also a fairly engaging speaker too and he, he's uh he has a good grasp on his own history so uh he he's uh very good at explaining how how bad things were at times and how good things were at times so very much so all right so that i think is going to wrap it up for us. And I want to thank you, uh, Noah, KC0SKE, for dropping by and talking with us for a little while. It was certainly enlightening for me. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. But we'll go ahead and wrap this up. So uh, this has been episode number 247 of Linux in the Hamshack and probably like 87 of the Ask Noah show. I'm not sure, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. I think is Cheryl going to make it in here for the outro? Uh, she's she's kind of walking this way. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, we have a question in the chat room at the at the last at two minutes to midnight. Dave wants to know if Noah has been to Hamvention. I have not. Uh, have, is that the is that the one in Ohio? It yeah. is. Yes. Dayton. Yeah. Uh, I, it is on my list. It's on my short list of conferences to attend to, and. Um, it looks like this year I may actually have some. Well, next year I guess it would be, but I'm I'm going to have some uh, a little bit more of a freed up schedule. So we are going to try and make that happen. Uh, that would be fantastic. We mm-hmm. we've had a booth at Hamvention now for I think this coming year will be our eighth year. Uh, so if you do make it down, you'll definitely have to stop by. We we have all of our podcast gear, and we actually have new hardware device for for next year, an actual software software managed hardware uh, audio router. So It'll be kind of nice. fun to play with that. So, uh, yeah, if you get a chance to be at Hamvention in 2019, we would love to have you come by. We would love to talk to you. You can see Zombie Bill. Zombie Bill. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, since, since he As made drive the drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He made, yeah, 20 hours plus straight from straight, Montana. Straight, both ways, no, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, fantastic. Anyway. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, this has been episode number 247 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license